What I want us to be able to do, and some of you may already do this, and if you do, praise God, but I want you to be able to see, as you read the word, see the big picture of God. I want you to understand that God does not work on the small picture. I know we've been trained to read the Bible most of the time where we just see ourselves, but what we need to be able to do is see the 3D, see God and what God is doing, then the individual that he's dealing with, as well as the people in this case, Old Testament is going to be the it's going to be the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, whichever one of those terms, it all means the same people. Amen. And the prophet that he's using at that time. But then also to see that. God has an enemy and his enemy hates the people of God. And so he's in the background doing some things, causing some things in order to cause the people of God not to obey God. Same old devil. And he's doing the same thing today. But here's what I want you to know without a shout of a doubt. He's not greater than your God. And so as long as we do and stay in Christ, we don't have any reason to fear him. That's why God said, I didn't give you the spirit of fear, but I gave you one of power, love, and a sound mind. But does he and his cronies work in the background to try to hinder us from succeeding in the things of God? Absolutely. But our God is greater. Amen. And as long as we obey God, then we're going to receive all the blessings of God. But disobedience to God does lead to consequences and punishments for that. So again, we're going to see God's big picture through the life of King Hezekiah. Amen. Hezekiah he began his reign at 25 years old, and most of us would think, wow, that's kind of young, amen. But God knows why he created every one of us. And please know you were created with and for a purpose of God. And that purpose far succeeds just living our lives and being successful on the earth and having a happy Blessed life is more than that. God is always operating according to his big master plan. And he has invited us like King Hezekiah. You may not be a king or queen. You are in the kingdom, but I'm talking about physically on the earth. But you still have a purpose and you have a destiny. And God has called us into that purpose, into that destiny for the fulfillment of him, though that is what causes his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So he reigned for 29 years. During the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign is when the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, attacked him. Hezekiah is like most of us. And what Hezekiah's first response was in 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8, he said unto them, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria or his mighty army for there is a power far greater than on our side. Now, who was he talking about when he said there's a power far greater on our side? God. 
Amen. Amen. Now I want you to get that in your spirit and in your soul that no matter what you're going through, because I know that somebody's going through some things and God is here to tell you just like what Hezekiah spoke for. There is one that is greater that is on your side. Amen. So discouragement and uh, loss is not your portion. May look like it, but victory is what God has given us. Blessed be his name. And the one that is far greater is with you is for you. Amen. And that should encourage us every day. And I want you to know it's not because you earned it or deserved it. It's because he chose you and he is God. Amen. He said, men have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. Take a moment and encourage yourself. And when others call you and they're discouraged, remind them if they are in Christ, there is one that is far greater that is with them, for them, and mere men may be attacking you, but the king of glory is on your side. The one that has never lost a battle and he ain't going to start with you and I. Amen. So in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennach, Therib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah. King Hezekiah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have, I have done wrong. I will pay whatever tribute money you demand if you will only withdraw. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. That came out to like a hundred and. 15, $15 million that he was asking him for. Amen. Not some small amount. Amen. He said to gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord and in the palace treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doorpost he had overlaid with gold and gave it to the Assyrian king. Amen. So everything that was dedicated to God and in service of God, Hezekiah used to pay off this king. But I want you to know it was futile. And that's what we must understand, that if we surrender to anyone except for God, it's only going to be a temporary fix. It's futile. The one that we should live our lives every day surrendering and giving our all to is the Lord our God. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, Yeshua, you the one and only, the everlasting God, the one that is the beginning, the end, the one that has no beginning, he has no end, but yet he is the beginning and the end, amen. So then he goes on to say, nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander in chief, his field commanders and his chief of staff from Lachish, from a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians, Took, the Assyrians took up a position beside the aqueduct that fed water into the upper pool. Now, I've been to Jerusalem and those others who have, we've seen this because it's part of the tour guide. Amen. So we know it's true. Our Bible is definitely true. It's the word of God. That feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. They summoned King Hezekiah, but the king sent these officials to meet with them. Elakim, son of Hakiah, the palace administrator, 
Shepna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian, giving you the backdrop and reminding you as we move forward what was going on. If the Holy Spirit takes the time to make sure that you don't just read it in one place, like in 2 Chronicles, then he follows it up with 2 Kings. And then if you find it in Isaiah, what is he doing? He's saying, this is a neon light. I need you to get this. I need you to understand what's going on so that you can know the position that Hezekiah and the people were in, that you are able to see from their vantage point, but also see from the vantage point of God and then understand what the enemy is doing. Amen. Amen. So Hezekiah was doing everything he could to appease this king of Assyria. Oh, saints, I want to tell you again that we're living in a day and time where the world is coming against our God and our faith. And I just want to warn you, you can do everything you can to appease them so you can go along to get along, but it's not going to do you any good any more than it did King Hezekiah. The only thing that will allow us to be able to stand in this time of adversity, persecution, trials, and tribulations is to be non-compromising and to stand on the truth of the word of God. And what God is saying is, get his word in you so that you will know it. I pray you fall in love with the word of God and you fall in love with it from the perspective of not just to see what I can get out of the word, what is it pertaining to me and my blessing, but because you want to know the one who is the word. You want to know the one who is the creator. You want to know the one who you put all your confidence, your trust, and your faith in it, in him. Amen. I don't read the word so I can feel good. I read the word so I can come to know my God. Because I see that darkness is encroaching and the grip of darkness is getting stronger every day. And the only thing that keeps me from giving in is the word when the Holy Spirit comes and reminds me, mm -mm, that is not of me. No, that is not. Because remember, they're three in one, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not one of them goes against the other one. So I'm amazed when people say, well, you know, Jesus is here now. So that doesn't, doesn't apply. What are you talking about? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are in total agreement. Jesus did not come to do away with anything that the Father said. And the Holy Spirit didn't come to say, oh, don't listen to Jesus. It's all about me. No, they are three in one. And in the Old Testament, when we did not see Jesus, we did. Because the Bible tells us clearly, not just the times when he physically was manifested, though he was not born through the virgin yet, but John tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when God's word went out, who do you think was going out? It was Jesus. Amen. That's why they said that the word came. The word came. Amen. That's what the prophets were saying. He's the word. So he didn't come in the New Testament to stop speaking the same word he'd been speaking for the prior Old Testament times. Amen. Glory be unto God. Hallelujah. Tour of truth. That's what you're on. Welcome. Amen. Amen.
the enemy will use people, circumstances, situations, our very own government to challenge our faith. He said, what God of any nation has ever been able to save his people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, do not answer him. Then the then Elakim, son of Hakiah, the palace administrator, Shifna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian, went back to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes in despair. They went in to see the king and told him what the Assyrian chief of staff had said. In other words, they are physically dis displaying their brokenness. What will God never refuse? a contrite heart and a broken spirit. God never will refuse when we genuinely repent. This is an honor display of what was going on inside of them. It is genuine repentance that God looks for, not lip service. They're repenting because remember, God will not allow the king of any nation to come upon his people unless his people had been in a backslidden state. Look at what the people were doing. And we were worshiping idols. They had been. That's why Hezekiah came in to dismantle and to destroy that stuff. But again, as I said earlier, there are consequences for disobedience. That's why every day we must pray and say, God, help me to obey you because you require obedience over sacrifice. When Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and went into the temple of the Lord and he sent Helakim and the palace administrator, Shekna, the court secretary and the leading priest, all dressed in sackcloth and ashes. They were in the state of repentance. These things that occur are to cause us to seek a state of repentance, whether it is personally, corporately, for our nation, because God responds to repentance. When repentance comes, he will relent, but no repentance, no relentance. And God has already told them what he was going to do. Understand, none of this would have been a surprise to them. They were familiar with Leviticus chapter 26, unlike most of us, because we don't read the, the book of Leviticus. Amen. Deuteronomy 28, and where the curses began all the way through 18 through 63, I believe. Amen. They, they would know those things. They were not like us that just read the blessings and did say, well, none of that other stuff applies to us. It's not true. All of scripture applies. Glory be unto God. Hezekiah repented, and then he sent his men, amen, to seek out Isaiah so that Isaiah could tell them what is going on. But here's the word that he gave, and I want us to capitalize on them. When they got to Isaiah, they told him, this is what the king Hezekiah says. Today is a day of trouble, insults, disgrace. It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. That's a dire situation. Amen. But he says, perhaps the Lord 
God has heard the Assyrian's chief of staff. I sent by the king to defy the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. Hezekiah is declaring that our faith is not in ourselves, not in our armies, not in our few animals and chariots we have left, but full faith in God. If God don't do it, it ain't going to get done. Saints, that's the life that you and I must live every day. If God don't do it, it's not going to get done. Running here, there, and all over the place might feel good, might bring you some results, but ultimately, our confidence, our faith, our trust, and our hope is in the Lord and the Lord alone. If God don't save us, we're not going to be saved. After the king, Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, say to your master, this is what the Lord said, do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me. See, God saw it against him. That's why it say, he tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, that vengeance is his. So therefore, we are in that position and in that posture. We are in the Lord. He is our front guard, our rear guard, our side guard. He is the one that fights the battles for us. Listen, I myself will move against him. This is God speaking. And the king will receive a message that he is needed at home. So he will return to his land where I will have him killed with a sword. God said, I'm going to have him killed with the sword. Notice he didn't say the devil was going to do it. God said, I'm going to do it. Why? Because God was at work. God knew what he was doing. Isaiah didn't say, well, come back a little later. I need to pray and seek God, and then I'll get back with you. He already knew because God was already speaking. Amen. We've gotten so accustomed to how we do things now that we forgot that God operates in this way. He says, I do nothing unless I tell my prophet first, amen. And I'm not saying that praying and seeking God is not a beautiful thing, but we act like that God don't speak to people first. And by the time we show up, they already have the answer because God is using them as his true messengers. I pray we come back to the time where what was done by God then is what we expect and we look to be done today, amen. Because our God is no different. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Soon afterwards, this king, he did receive the message. He received the word. And before he returned back to Jerusalem, he sent a message to King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, I mean, this man in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done. Wherever they have gone, they have utterly destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? Such nations as Gazan, Haran, Rissa, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Azar, my predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the king of Serahapan, Hina, and Ahar? Understand this. This is weapons of the enemy's warfare that cause us to want to doubt. Well, well, how come their God wasn't able to stop them? Why were they suffering? 
Why are they going through? If God is really God, how can this possibly be happening? Well, what I say is I can't go by anybody else's God because they don't have Jesus. They don't have Jehovah. They don't have the one and only true God. I'm going to stand by what I know my God can do. And I'm, my confidence is in the Lord. And if God chooses through this situation to bring me closer to him because I get to go home, praise be unto God, glory be unto his name. But I will not bow to Baal and I won't bow to fear because he didn't give me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Now I want you to know something here. See what Hezekiah is doing. What Hezekiah began when he began his prayer is what we call following the name of the Lord. That's why when Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, he said, pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven, follow be thy name. He came in telling God who he is. Amen. It says, O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubims. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord. He's hollowing. He didn't come in with desperation. He didn't come in weeping and begging and pleading. He came in from the vantage point. I know who you are. And I'm going to speak to who you are, reminding who you are to you, because I know that's going to cause you to respond, because my prayer is a prayer of faith. Saints, God wants us to see this in helping us to even pray differently, because oftentimes we come in praying prayers of desperation and all that stuff, and God is like, really? Where's your faith? Do you know who I am? When we come in declaring to God who he is, we're saying, I know you will not fail. You're going to move. You're going to do this. And then he even goes on to say, yes, he could do what he did because they didn't want the true God. They were gods made by the hands of man, mere wood and, and gold and silver. They were no gods. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't save them. But you're the one and only true God. And we're putting all of our faith and our trust in you. And you, through when you were speaking to Joshua, said, you will never leave, nor will you ever fail us. This is God's response. Isaiah sends the message to Hezekiah immediately. And he says that God is saying, I heard your prayer. See, God is moved by faith. That's why the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, we must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He said, and the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. In other words, their faith, they are not moved by your words. They are mocking you. They're laughing. Do they know you are joking? Because the all-powerful, the almighty is with them and on their side. Do you not know that's the same God that is with you and on your side? Don't bow under the enemy's weapons and his tactics. He doesn't have any new ones. The virgin daughter of God despises you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. In other words, they already know you're going to be chased away from there. 
Whom have you been defying and ridiculing against? Whom did you raise your voice at? Whom did you look with such hearty eyes? This is God. See, our battle is not ours, it's the Lord. They're not after you, they're after the God that you are in, and he will defend you. It was the Holy One of Israel by your messenger. You have defiled the Lord. You have said with my many chariots, I have conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon, I've cut down its tallest chest, cedar and its finest cypress tree. I have reached the furthest corners and explored the deepest forest. This is pride. And God hates pride. In fact, he says he can't do anything with the prideful, only with the humble. Look at the contrast. Hezekiah comes humbly before God, telling God who he knows him to be. Yes, did God sin? Sennacherib, he did. But he goes in arrogance and he's in pride and God's going to deal with him. He said, I've dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with the water, with the sole of my feet. I stopped up all the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard that? I decided this long, long ago. I planned it and now I'm making it happen. This is God speaking. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightening and confused. They're as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender grass shoots. They are like grass shooting on a house truck, scorched before it, tendril. Before it can grow lush and tall, God said, I did this. I ordained you. I was bringing you for this cause. The same reason he says in Exodus, it is for this cause that Pharaoh was born. So that it, not just the Egyptians and the Hebrews, but all the nations would know that he is the Lord, that he is God. He chose this individual to come against Jerusalem so that all the nations will know that the God of Israel is God. Hezekiah knew that. That's why he responded to God and reminded God of that. Since the beginning of time, saints, God has wanted nothing but for mankind to know every nation, tribe, and tongue that he is God. And he will never stop revealing himself and wanting that to be known, even to that final last day, it is the purpose. So all will know that he is God, not these other idols and things that men have given themselves over to. He doesn't just suddenly say, oh, I think I'm good. God has a master blueprint. He has a master plan and he's working all of that, what he does according to that. And you and I, are in that big blueprint. And it is much bigger than just us having a happy life and a great and a wonderful family. It is the plan and the purposes of God being fulfilled and exercised on the earth. But I know you well, where you stay and when you come and go. I know the way you have raised against me and because of your raising against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself. I will put my hook in your nose and my bite in your mouth, and I will make you return by the same road in which you came. He hears all. He sees all. He knows all. That's why when the enemy comes in, and I say it this way, like a flood, 
God raises up a higher standard. He's the God of Israel. He never slumbers, nor does he sleep. Fear is not our portion. Victory is through faith in Christ Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, here's the proof that what I say is true. This year, you will eat only what grows up by itself. See, they weren't able to plan anything. They had been in a time where not only were they under siege, but there were famine. There was a drought. There was no water. Water was limited. And next year, you will eat what springs up from that. But God is saying, but in the third year, you will have plant, you will plant crops and harvest them, and you will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of the siege, will put roots down in your own soil and will grow up and flourish. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion, the passionate commitment of the Lord of the heaven's army will make this happen. God says, come on, do it. Don't worry. It. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do and how you're going to know I'm doing what I'm doing. Saints, do you not know we serve the same God today? And if we would just seek him, he would give us answers. We don't have to sit in this constant dismay. Yes, he's a mystery, but it's a mystery that he wants to reveal to us. So if you ask him, he said, you'll receive, you seek, you'll find, you knock and the door will be open. We live as if we don't have a God, that we're under the same rules as the rest of the world who have, who have rejected him. And we're in this guessing and hoping and wishing. When we have a God that speaks, a God that tells, a God that leads, guides and directs us, and a God that wants to reveal himself to us. So through us, he can be revealed to others. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His army will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside the gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its wall. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter in the city, says the Lord, for my own honor and for the sake of of David, of King David, I will defend this city and deliver it. God is saying what he's going to do. It's the same God we serve. I marvel when I read these things. I go, wow, what an amazing God. And yet, sometimes we, we walk around like we're afraid and we're timid. We should be boasting every day because he is the same God. And then that night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpse everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nibia and stayed there. See, he's the God of his word. He will do exactly what he said. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of the god Nishrach, his son, Adram Malik and Shah Razir killed him with their sword. They then escaped to the land of 
Erat and another son as Hardin became the king of Assyria. God did what he said. He's the God of his word. Amen. He may bring, he may bring persecution, trials, tribulation, but he will deliver us through if we keep our faith and our trust in him. Now look what happens when the enemy's weapon goes from touching Hezekiah and all the people. Now he brings it into the personal realm. I want us to note this because oftentimes, see, Job, when we look at the book of Job and when things happen to Job's animals and his livestock and his children, his response was one thing. But when it touched his body, he began to respond different. That's why Satan said, but if you let me touch him, he'll turn and he'll curse you. Amen. So it is one thing when we're the intercessor or the prayer warrior of all prayer warriors when it comes to our nation. But how do we respond to God when it touches us physically? About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. He prayed to the Lord who healed him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him and he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. If the king is operating in pride, He's going to lead the people and they'll become that same way. Then Hezekiah humbled himself and repented of his pride, as did the people of Jerusalem. So the Lord's anger did not fall on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. Hezekiah was very wealthy and highly honored. He built special treasure, rebuilding for his silver, gold, precious stones, spices, and for his shield and other valuable items. He also constructed many storehouses for his grain, new wine, olive oil. He made many stalls for his cattle, pens for his flock, sheep, goat. He built many towns and acquired vast flocks and herds. But God had given him great wealth. God had given him great wealth. He blocked up the up, upper spring of Gion and brought the water down through a tunnel to the west side of the city of David. And so he succeeded in everything that he did. God did it, but Hezekiah forgot who was doing it. See, our fame, our fortune, and our riches is not for ourselves. It's for God's plan, God's purpose, so that God can be glorified. And God is not glorified through that stuff. God is glorified through our obedience. Amen. Through our obedience. The stuff is nothing to God. Remember, the streets in heaven are paved in gold. Why would he, if he thought it was so valuable, use it as asphalt? He doesn't. But what God is doing is testing to see if I give you this stuff, would you still be willing to give it all away because of your love for me? Or will you become prideful and begin boasting about the stuff and want to show it off to everybody? That's what Hezekiah did. However, when the ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. I asked the Lord, I said, God, what's the difference between the test and the temptation? He said, the test, you already have the answer because I've already given it to you. All you got to do is apply what I've trained and do according to my word. It becomes temptation is when you either 
didn't pay any attention to the word I gave you or you cast it aside because you saw what you thought was gold and glimmering and that you decided to chase after. Then it becomes temptation. But a test is just to see if you will obey. Even when what looks like the greatest thing in the world show up, amen. About that time, Hezekiah became deadly ill. We've already looked at that. And this time, though, it's telling us that Isaiah came and told him, set your affairs in order for you are going to die. You will not recover from this. Hezekiah's response was a little different. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O oh Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down, wept bitterly. Saints, I want us to look at this because oftentimes we pray and know that everything in the scripture isn't because it's a model, but it's also for us to see how things were not done that God wasn't pleased with or so we can seek and ask. Hezekiah's in self. He's telling God about all that he did. You and I can do everything right and perfectly for God, but God will still not owe us anything. Amen. And God's decision on what he's doing is based on he knows the end from the beginning. But because of his reaction, God said, before Isaiah could leave, go back and tell him, you know, um, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor, David says, I've heard your prayer and have seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Saints, I want you to know that God was already trying to defend this city. He was going to, uh, he was already going to deal with the king of Assyria, but he was trying to defend the city from the king called Manasseh. See, Hezekiah, who had finished his work, we are on this earth for one purpose and one purpose only, to finish the purpose of God for our lives. That's our destiny. Hezekiah had completed it. He had turned the nation, the city around to God. And now God was going to allow them to build on that. But Hezekiah lived an additional 15 years. He went from being humble to being prideful, but he also gave birth to Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king. More blood was spilled in the land of Judah than anywhere else in Jerusalem during his lifetime. He came into power when he was 12 years old. Do you not get this? If Hezekiah would have understood God's big plan and let God reward him by coming to be with him, amen, then Manasseh would have never been born. And one of his other sons would have been the one that would be reigning, amen. So when God gives over to our desires, he already knows the consequences that's going to come, amen. We must begin to look and understand the big picture. God, what are you doing? Why are you? What are you doing? Cause me to see this through your eyes and not my own. Amen. And when it said that there was more bloodshed in Jerusalem than any other time, any other king, innocent blood, he wasn't talking about babies. 
who Manasseh went after was those who still believed what his father believed when they were walking with the Lord. So it was believers that he was killing. Amen. See, God knows all. And we'll just trust him and let him be God. Because what we do and our decisions don't just affect us, but it affects generations to come. Amen. And this is the sign from the Lord to prove that you will, that he will do as he promised. I will cause the sun shadow to move 10 steps backwards on the sundial of Ahas, so that the shadow of the sundial moved backwards 10 times. But notice that this was not because God gave this sign like he did previously when Hezekiah was humble. Hezekiah demanded, he asked, what will be the sign that I'll know this will be true? Do you see the difference in his, in his disposition, the difference in his perspective, and even in his faith? Pride causes us to operate in self and not in God, and God in faith. He wrote this poem. He said, I'm in the prime of my life. Must I now enter the place of the dead as I'm to be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, never again will I see the Lord God while still in the land of the living. Never again will I see my friends and be with those who live in the world. My life has been blown away like a shepherd tent in a storm. I've been cut short. So when a Weaver cuts cloth from a loom. Suddenly my life was over. Hezekiah is all in self. And this is selfish prayers. He's not looking at God, what are you doing? He's not even remembering the big picture of what God is operating according to. It's me, myself, and I. And he said, I waited patiently on life, but I was torn apart as though by lions. Suddenly my life was over delirious. I chattered like a shadow or a crane, and then I moaned like a morning dove. Morning dove. My eyes grew tired of looking to heaven for help. I am in trouble, Lord. Help me. Do you see the difference in the contrast between his prayers? Amen. Well, what should I say? For he himself sent the sickness. Now I will walk humbly through my years because of this anguish I have felt. Lord, your discipline is good for it leads to life and health. You restore my health and allow me to live. God said, you confess with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Hezekiah's heart was far from God. Yes, this anguish is good for me, for you have rescued me from death. Amen. Again, Isaiah brings us the same words. Isaiah had said to Hezekiah's servant, make an ointment from the figs, and spread it over with the boil, and Hezekiah will recover. He was sick with a boil, but God had determined that this was his appointed time. I know oftentimes we look at this and say, wow, this is how we are to pray. This is wonderful. This is amazing. But I want you to remember, Manasseh was born during those 15 years. Think of all the countless people who died, innocent victims, because Hezekiah, wanted his way instead of God's way. And Hezekiah asked, he asked, what will prove, what sign will prove that I will go to the temple of the Lord? Pride. Again, Hezekiah is asking, he wants proof. He didn't need proof when God, when he was praying in reference to God and God defending them 
from the king of Assyria. But when it touched his body, now he has a different perspective and he seems to see God in a different light. And then when Hezekiah is well, soon after Merodach, Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift. And he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah received the Babylon envoys and showed them everything in his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasury. There was nothing in this palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. This person set Hezekiah up. He was wanting Hezekiah now to turn again the, the king of Assyria and doing so that he would ir irritate them and Hezekiah would be on the side of the Babylonian. But Hezekiah didn't realize that God was testing him. And because he responded in such pride, it affected all of his descendants and the people in generations to come. Our decisions don't just affect us, they affect generations to come. Then Hezekiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, what did these men want? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, they came from the distant land of Babylon, what did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked, they saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. He's responding in all of his arrogance, his pride. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your own palace, all the treasure stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of the Babylonian king. I want you to remember the book of Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was affected by what Hezekiah did on this day. It is, it was affected because Hezekiah wanted more time to live instead of going to live with his king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you gave, you have given from me, the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Hezekiah's prayer was selfish. It was all about him. He had no longer any regard for the people. And sometimes, saints, when things hit us personally, we do the same way. But what God wants us is to pray and remember he's always at work according to the big picture and how we fit in that big picture. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to the message from the Lord. Again, he's reminding him. And the Holy Spirit has it written three different times so that we can see it. Some of your very own sons, and they're going to become eunuchs. But he wasn't moved by any of that. Reminds me of Elijah. Elijah, you know, 1 Samuel, when he tells him, God tells him through the prophet Samuel and even through another prophet what he was going to do. 
And he said, all is well. Let God be God. He didn't repent. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't intercede. He didn't do anything. Nor did Hezekiah. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you, you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Since we are to leave a legacy of God tarries behind us that stands for the Lord. That means our life had purpose because of the God that we live for. And all the men of Judah, I want you to remember this is from 2 Chronicles 20, 13, and 15. And this is dealing with another king, King Jehoshaphat, another king of Judah. And they're under attack, but his response is different. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehazel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Joel, son of Matani, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. And he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God. I want to encourage you on tonight that whatever you're going through, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. It's God. Stay in Christ. Stay in Christ. Don't come out. Don't waver. Know who he is. Amen. And make your prayers line up with who he is. Who can advise the spirit of the Lord? This is Isaiah 40, 13 and 15. And when you pray, remember this. Who can advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? What has, teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instructions about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scale. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. This is the God that we serve. And when we come to God and we're praying, we're not to come to give him advice and tell him what to do. We are coming seeking what he is doing so that we can pray in agreement and in alignment with God. That's how we partner with God. And it goes on to say, again, in Isaiah 49, 28 and 30, have you never heard, have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary, never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fail in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Again, Isaiah 49, 28 and 31. Our God is the one that's all powerful. He is good and he knows what he's doing and he does all things well. And then our final scripture of encouragement to remind us who he is and what he has given us is we are humans. But we don't wage war as humans do. 
We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy the false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, you will punish everyone who remains disobedient. We are to be God's living witnesses, testifying of his faith. In good times that we consider hard times difficult, forever and ever, he is the Lord and he is good. Amen. And God's big picture is greater. I had a TV once and it was uh, 75 inches, I think that's what it is, and big, big TV. But in it, it had a picture in a picture. Actually, it was 50. and a picture in a picture. And you could click on the picture in the picture and see what was going on. But you didn't see the big picture. I believe, saints, that most of the time we view life in Christ in that pit. We see the picture in the picture, but we don't see the big picture, the full screen of what God is doing. We must come to a time where that is what we're doing and how we're living. Because God's plan and purpose for all humanity and the earth is greater and bigger than just little old you and little old me. But little old you and me have a part that is great because it's great to God in his big picture. Subject to your comments and your questions. Good evening. This is Connie. Um, <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful lesson. I learned a great deal. The things that, that came to me when you as you were teaching and, and I was reading along as well is that it's not our will, but it's God's will. Mm -hmm. And we have to pray that. We pray what we want, but we never ask God, what is your will? And we have to be obedient to, okay, this is what God is, wants for us. This is what God wants for me, but I want something different. But then my different things are out of order. Um, they're not what God had planned. Um, you know, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Okay, well, I'm going to have to trust in your plan rather than my plan. Um, and But I have to also come to you and knowing that it's not my will, it's your will. And that's my prayer now. One time I'm just like, Lord, I want, I want, I want, I want. But I never ask, what is your will? What is your will? Because we pray for our will to be done, our will to be done, or my will to be done. We're praying out of order what God is, what God has already planned. Amen. Well said, Connie. And what I suggest that we pray every day as well is God give me eyes to see and ears to hear. In fact, Jesus said in the New Testament, it has been given unto you eyes to see and ears to hear. But we need to pray into that because we are so conditioned to see it, you know, tunnel vision from our perspective. But God wants us to see it in 3D. What is the big picture? What God is doing, what he's doing through mankind and through a, a prophet or leader and what the enemy is doing to try to hinder and stop God from doing the good because the enemy understands that the curses that God has given or the waves of judgment, that's what I call them, in Leviticus 26 and 28, God is going to do that. 
Israel is the model and how God responded to their disobedience is the same way he's going to respond to the disobedience of the church and of the nations. Amen. And oftentimes, because we don't understand the big picture, we are praying against God instead of praying with God. Anyone else? Comments, thoughts, questions? I love what Connie, my sister in Christ said, and that is something uh, that I pray, God, please give me your perspective on this. And Holy Spirit, help me to pray your will. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband asked me the other night, we have a big decision in front of us. And my husband asked me the other night, what do you want, Chantel? What do you want? And I could have said everything that I wanted. And I said, I... I have a desire in my heart, but I want the Lord's will to be done mm. because he knows what is best for you and what is best for me. Um, so that's where we are in this, this prayer and this decision. Um, but it is when we pray like that, that is the way that we are supposed to pray. So I every day say, God, give me your eyes to see, your ears to hear. That is something that I do every day. And I always ask, Holy Spirit, lead me in prayer because you know what I need and help me to pray. And, and I, I ask that you consider the desires of my heart. I do ask him for things, but ultimately for his will. So I just thank you for everything we learned. And another thing I learned is, reading the way that you taught about Hezekiah, because when I would read with Hezekiah and he said, the Lord's discipline was good for me. I thought Hezekiah was doing a good thing by saying that, but then the way that you painted it, the true picture, I just learned so much. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Hezekiah was struggling there. Mm -hmm. So I just thank you for that teaching. So praise the Lord. God bless each and every one of you. Amen. Well, thank you, Chantel, and well said. And that's exactly what we need to do because God does know what is good. He knows what's best for us. And he knows how we fit into his big picture of what he's doing. We are not here by chance or coincidence. You wasn't an accidental birth, or you were not born out of time, out of season. No, you were born in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect way, amen, for God's perfect plan. And we must live our lives in connection with what God is doing and how God sees it and what is best. Because again, as we see with Hezekiah, Hezekiah's decision of desperation caused him to pray in a way and God did honor him he did he reminded God of all that he had did and oftentimes sometimes when we pray we do the same thing but Hezekiah forgot even if you do a million things for God he still don't owe you anything he's God amen he's the master he's the Lord he's our servant he's our king he's our God amen we get amen. the pleasure of doing things for God and it's not because we've earned it or we deserved it, but because God chose us and he allows us. Amen. And Amen. that attitude keeps us humble. But when we start acting as if God owes us something, then we that's pride, that's arrogant. And God can do nothing with that. Amen. And ultimately, Hezekiah got his wish. 
but Manasseh was born and Manasseh ruled for 59 years. Hmm. Food for thought, food for thought, amen. Anyone else, comments, questions? I know we've gone over, so I appreciate all of you staying and being attentive in this uh, sharing on tonight, amen. It's been my pleasure. Any comments, questions, concerns, or thoughts? What I want to say before I go back is, again, I'm not saying that if you are sick or someone you love is sick, that you should not pray for them. But I'm saying, ask and seek the Lord. I'm going to share this one thing. In 2007, my mother became deathly ill. I love my mother. I did, I did, and I do. And I remember having a conversation with my sister Mary. She's not on here tonight. That's probably... God directed that, uh, but my other sister is, and I think she'll receive it okay, but anyway, and she'll even remember, but I told Mary on that Thursday, I said, look, I'll be there on Friday, I said, anybody who can't pray prayers of faith, I'm going to kick them out of the room, because only faith that will cause God to move, because I wanted my mother to live, I did, I wanted to live longer than me, amen, don't ever take off to the earth, amen, can we go home together, but I, and I showed up on that Friday and I began to do exactly what I said. But that Friday night, the Lord came and he arrested me and he said, Sylvia, he said, you are praying, asking me to allow her to stay on the earth. She's praying, asking me to come home to be with me, which whose prayer do you? Because God had told me a long time ago, who I bless, he will bless. Who I curse, he'll curse. Whose prayer should I answer? And I said, God, by all means, answer hers. And he said, in that case, prepare your brothers and your sisters. They have two sisters and three brothers. Prepare them because I'm taking her home. I'm taking her home. See, not my will, but your will be done. I love my mom. If I know she's with him. And why would I want her to be here in all this craziness that we're going through in this day and age? I thank God that she gets to wait it out. She Amen. gets to wait it out. Glory Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm not sharing something with you that I have not lived out. He gives it and tests me first. <laughs> and then it allows me to share it with others. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Comments? Thoughts? Yeah, Amen. I have... <clears throat> I, you know, the last, uh, I think it's the last scripture that you shared, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Yeah, chapter 10, uh, verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3, the second part, uh, even though we walk through the, uh, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. Mm. And that really um, strike me because walking according to the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So it's like when we are praying, we actually should switch. And what mm -hmm. struck me even uh, was verse 4 is that the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. When I saw this word strongholds, uh, I realized actually the battle, most of the battle is within us. Mm -hmm. When you were reading as Ezekiah, he was allowing his fears to overwhelm him. He allowed every intimidation to press him. But when when 
when when his eyes was open then everything fall into place and then whenever he, he fall back where where you know and then he goes back into that same cycle so i felt that reflecting to myself i realized when the battle of the strongholds is broken within me then i see victory because then faith rises Amen. and then so so many a times we think the spiritual warfare is we bind and cast everything outside but actually it's internal and and that's why i for me i feel many a times god allowed these 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 enemies to come to intimidate to to like like in the garden of eden god put the two trees for us to we have a freedom of choice who we want to follow follow the devil's voice and believe his lies or follow God. So it's a he's he's asking us to overcome, overcome, and the only way to overcome is to always seek him and to follow his voice, obedience. That's what I I gather from your sharing today. That's the message I'm gonna receive it. That I really need to constantly, the moment I put my guard down and compromise, I'm going to see that I'll be looking outside and blaming everyone, but it's the internal battle that I need to be deal with. Thank Amen. you. Thank you for the word today. Amen. Thank you and well said. And I will tell you that what you said is absolutely true. It is the eternal battle, the stuff that's in us that does the most damage. Amen. Because God yeah. sees it there. And he wants to do great and one things, great and wonderful things through us, to us, and for us. But what is in you, you give to other people. Amen. And so even when we're out ministering, it can't take us to such to but certain heights and depths. Why? Because that stuff is in. It is my iniquities, it's the things that are in me that must be dealt with first. I finished a, I was away because I was leaving a boot camp. And we had people from Malaysia and from Finland and even from um, um, Haiti and within the United States who came. And what we did was we made them buddies and they were assigned two by two, just like Jesus did. Well, my two ladies from Finland and Haiti, but she now lives in Long Island, mm -mm, the battles began. And they, it was over whether air conditioner should be on or off. And what I had to keep reminding them is that it's not about that air conditioner. This is a weapon that the enemy is using, but God is the one that's engineering it because he wants to show you, you, amen. He wants to show you what's in you so that you can deal with that. So when you come down to tell me about your buddy, you only tell me about you. So let's go back and look at you and let God deal with you. And finally, on the last Wednesday before we they graduated on that Friday, they came down and wanted to send me something the night before about, well, we need a corporate breakthrough. And I told them, there's no corporate breakthrough coming. Amen. Why? I said, because the junk that is still in you. Amen. If God was to bring a corporate blessing 
breakthrough, then you're going to believe that where you are and still battling with your battle buddy two and a half weeks later, that it is acceptable and God is blessing that. I said, so you need your individual breakthroughs and then the corporate blessing will come. And I said, and know this for sure. You may want to go to nations, but God is not going to send you to nations with that stuff because we're in the last days and you don't have time for people who messing around playing. Amen. It's serious. Well, needless to say, I think that the Holy Spirit opened up their eyes. They allowed the Holy Spirit to do some stuff. And by the time they showed up on that Thursday, it was two different individuals. They had genuine love for one another. They were giggling, they were laughing, all of that stuff. And guess what? Thursday, the Holy Spirit showed up and showed out. Amen. Deal with the stuff that's in you. We get so used to because the world has us pointing outward. When God is trying to show us me, God was trying to show Hezekiah, Hezekiah, how he responded when it was the corporate thing is totally different when he responded, when he showed up in him personally. And oftentimes that's exactly what we do. Amen. Well, she needs to change. She needs to change. No, she don't. You do. And if you change and you change, then the change will come. But God is not going to make her change. You got to decide to do it. It's the stuff in us that limits God. It's the stuff that's in us that deters what God wants to do through us because God wants to receive all the honor and the glory. And if I cannot surrender to God, become a living sacrifice in God's service through total obedience, then it will hinder what God is doing. One last example I'm gonna give and then I'm gonna be quiet, amen, get you off. But you know that Saul, King Saul, was the answer to God's telling Moses when the Amalekites attacked them when they were coming out of Exodus. They attacked them from the rear and did some real damage. Joshua was on the ground battling. Moses is up. Uh, and as long as his hands could be extended, they were winning. But as he got fatigued and tired, they would lose because his arms would drop down. So Aaron and Hur decided to hold his arms up. They found a rock for him to stand on. Anyway, long story short, they ended up winning the battle. But God told Moses, mark this, write this down, that the day will come when I will totally wipe out the Amalekites. They will no longer exist. Amen. The person that was assigned in the big picture to do that was King Saul. But because King Saul didn't understand the big picture, he did 90%, I guess maybe 70, of what God asked him to do. Because remember, he didn't kill the king and he spared the best of the animals. He said to give as an offering to God, something that God had already marked for destruction, he's going to give it to God. God was not pleased. Amen. But he was the answer. He's the answer. What are you the answer to that God has written in the volume of the books that he wrote about you, that you would do for him and for his glory? But because we don't understand and see the big picture, we have denied God in doing what God wanted to do through, to, and for us. Food for thought. Amen. Hezekiah became selfish. And he forgot about this big God who does all things well and is perfect in all his ways. 
Well, um, the part of the passage that really resonates for me today really ties into an experience that I had today, uh, which is the uh, part about 2 Kings chapter 18, um, reading down all the way to 30, and the intimidating factor um, about uh, the king of Assyria uh, trying to intimidate uh, Hezekiah. And when you said that, uh, today I had a conversation at work because uh, I, I thank God for a safe journey and my move to Maryland. I'm now in the DC metropolitan area. It's been a, it's been a good uh, a good struggle because it's taught me a lot. But um, I came here at work and uh, I began to hear the sentiments of a few people who had been at work and for some reason they were being um, expelled because of their actions. But the things I began to hear, and because of this Bible teaching today, I, I want to repent for the for the for for the mind that I had at that time. And I believe you the mind I had was was the human reaction to self-preservation. And they began to say a lot of things. Oh, you cannot say this, you cannot say that. Anyone can come and say say that you have offended them because of your religious beliefs, or you may have you may say a word and anyone can come and say sharp or EO and, and stuff like that. And I and immediately I heard that the flesh kicked in and I began to say, oh, I'm not gonna say anything, and I'm not gonna say anything. And immediately, I mean. After this, and I began to realize when you spoke, Pastor Sylvia, about the how the enemy intimidates you, it, it always starts by words, to say certain things that will rattle your faith. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was like, oh my goodness, if, if, if I'm to go in there and say uh, the wrong thing unintentionally, I could lose everything. But see, that's the flesh kicking in. And I came to my wife and I began to tell my wife, and I said, oh, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to be all professional. And all the while, lumping in God in the mix, saying, I'm not even going to speak for God. If God asks me to speak in any situation, mind you, this job is very sensitive to the point where I cannot even tell people what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And to lose that, you know, could mean losing a lot of opportunities. But then after hearing everything that has been said, and many confessions that I've said in the past and many times I've stood for God and he has been faithful. I, I really, really feel bad inside for taking that stand and letting my flesh take over. Because it's easy to engage in self-preservation, forgetting that God is the source of our resources. I mean, he gave me this job. He's preserved me. I'm 36 years today. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make it to 36 years old by my might or my power. God preserved me all the way. I came to this nation not by my power. God made the way for me. So, and, and I just want to say that, you know, we, there are times you can all fall for this deception. And when the enemy tries to intimidate you to tell you, you can't say or say anything uh, to, 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 to be a witness to God in whatever setting you find yourself. And today, today was really uh, a revelation to know that you cannot be intimidated by other people's experiences because many times they may not be walking with your God. And we must be able to stand by faith and by experiential knowledge of our God that if he has stood for us in the past, he will stand for us today. Our duty is to be a witness for him so that people might come to know him no matter where we find ourselves and no matter what we can lose in the process. He is going to preserve us through the way. And I just want to say thank God for this lesson because 
this is a moment for me to say, I change my mind, which is repentance, changing your mind from believing in a lie to believe in the truth. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Glory to God. And Terrence, you summed it up because that is the weapon that the enemy is going to use against us. Fear yeah. and intimidation to get us to shut up because he yeah. knows that the word of God, amen, is amen. It, it, the word of God is powerful. Yes. He doesn't want the truth of the word of God. He doesn't care about that watered down stuff. You can preach about prosperity for the next 100 years and the enemy is not going to care. But when you yeah. talk and share the real word of who God is, fear, intimidation, all of those things. Again, Manasseh, when we read that, because I used to read it for years thinking, oh, must have been innocent children. But God said, mm -mm -mm, go back and think. When Jezebel and Ahab killed, they killed the prophets of God. They killed the prophets of God. Now, Manasseh inherited a kingdom that was under God's rule. It was as close to it had been during the lifetime of David. So what was who was he killing? The people who believed and still was standing, trying to stand firm according to what his dad had established. That's what he was. So again, if we could our invest everything in this world, then we're going to succumb to that. But if we know that we have been chosen by God, and the Bible says that we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and we love not our lives, even unto death, and we cannot be stopped and we cannot be shut down. And Amen. yes, God provided you that opportunity, but that opportunity is not your provider. Your provider is God. Amen. And when I served in the army, again, I'm not saying something I didn't do. When I served in the army, they told me the same thing. The command sergeant, you're not supposed to have your Bible on your desk. The command sergeant, you're not supposed to say this, that, and the other. And I said, let me tell y'all something right now so you get it real clear. My provider is Jesus Christ. And if he has temporarily chosen the army to provide for me, then that army going to provide for me as long as he says. And if he changes his mind, then you put me out and he'll still provide for me because you're not my source. He is the source. So I'm not afraid. So I kept my Bible. And guess what? My altar, my, my office was an altar. My soldiers that was going through sought me out so I could pray for them. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Amen. And I didn't leave a day before God told me it was time for me to retire. Mm. He's God. Fear is not my portion. It's not yours either. God is God and he's at work. And it's a time that we start through prayer asking for Holy Ghost boldness. Amen. Amen. Not by power, not by my might, but by the spirit. And it is the spirit of God that gives us the boldness to speak. May we become like Jeremiah when God said, I chose you before I formed you, placed you in your mother's womb to be a prophet unto the nations. But Jeremiah had a specific calling and an assignment. And that was say what God told him to say and do what God told him to do. Nothing more, nothing less. That his face was to be like flint, like rock before the people. God said, and if you don't do what I tell you to do, how I tell you to do it, then I'm gonna make you look foolish. 
before the people. Amen. Amen. We're in that era. The world is trying to do everything to rid itself of the knowledge of God and God himself. But God has living witnesses, each one of us. And we ought to be true witnesses like the true witness, Christ Jesus, and stand. He's already told us he suffered. We're going to suffer. Believe what Jesus said. And you're not afraid. So when it comes, you go, okay, Lord, thank you. Like Peter and John, you finally found us worthy to enter into the suffering of Christ Jesus. Blessed be your name. Amen. Amen. Well, you Amen. all know I can get on my box and keep going all night. But I'm going to go ahead and stop. Does anyone have any last comments, questions, or concerns? Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I know we've gone over and again. I thank you for your time and your attention. I hope that all that the Lord desired to be done on this night was done. I pray that he will not give you any rest, but he will take this, cause you to meditate on it. You'll have visions and dreams about the word of God and know that God is at work and we're in a season where he's raising us up to speak the truth in love, walk the truth in love, and walk the truth in faith. For we walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. Amen. And as Pastor Shira said, when we war, we war not as in the flesh, but in the spirit. And the weapons that God has given us are greater than the weapons of the enemy. Why? Because the enemy stole his weapons. God's weapons are perfect and they are great. And they counteract any attack. They counter. They are the antidote to anything the enemy comes against us. Remember who you are and stay in Christ. Amen. Pastor Shira, could you please close us out in prayer? Thank you. Come, let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word, Lord. Thank you. Your word is the power of God for salvation. And truly, indeed, your word has opened our eyes today and tore down many strongholds. And Lord, let your word be rooted, so rooted that we will hold on to your word. For this is our weapon for our warfare. Father, Lord, do a work in our minds, do a work in our hearts. And Father, I pray for a special blessing upon Pastor Sylvia, um, Krista, and all those in the team, Lord, Father God. Father, for, for using them mightily, Lord, to transform us so that we can all shine according to your purpose and plan. Father, Lord, let this word sink in even further in our hearts, Lord, so that we will be worthy vessel and we will know our purpose and plan in your kingdom and we will walk with you, Lord. Let us be that people set apart who will proclaim your marvelous word in light and truth. In Yeshua's name, I pray. Amen.